but your teammates, it's uh, it's something really special. And I think that's why, you know, I, ha- I have done a lot of solo events and I, I do enjoy doing that as well. I'm pushing myself to the limit, but there's another pleasure and another enjoyment with doing a team event. And that's what keeps bringing me back to adventure racing and Welcome to the Dark Zone, an adventure racing podcast. This is your host, Brian Gatens. In adventure racing lingo, a dark zone is a time when due to darkness or safety, teams are paused on the course before continuing with the race. During that time, stories are exchanged, friendships are kindled, spirits are restored, and teams have a chance to prepare for the next challenge. We hope that you make good use of this dark zone. We're glad that you're here. Welcome to June 2022. Uh, we are in the tail end of the Endless Mountains Adventure Race, which ended yesterday. Congrats to Rootstock Racing's Brent Friedland and Abby Perkis for a great event. Going back through the archives and clearing out some of our older interviews, making room for some new Endless Mountains podcasts. Um, today's Rachel Nolan. This was recorded back in April of 2022. Rachel is an Irish adventure racer. Uh, she's a long-distance bikepacking champion, and she raced Expedition Africa with Team Visibility. She recounts the race, the event, her teammates. She talks about her nutrition, her choices. And she even reminds me later on in the podcast to talk about her training. So thank you, Rachel, for coming on The Dark Zone. Happy to have you here. Listeners, we know you have a lot of choices, how you spend your time. And we appreciate that you are joining us at The Dark Zone, which will always remain free for its listeners. Enjoy the episode and good luck training, everybody. Welcome to the Dark Zone, an adventure racing podcast. Today we're joined by Rachel Nolan. Uh, Rachel is an Irish adventure racer. Uh, her most recent experience was Expedition Africa at Lesotho, where she spent uh, almost a full week out on the course with her teammate, Visibility uh, Racing, um, to uh, have a great experience. We, we, we watched from home, Rachel, and we watched your tracker, and we watched it go in different directions at different times. And it sounds like your team really took full advantage of the race of the course. But before we get to your Africa experience, tell our listeners a bit about yourself. Who are you? Where are you from? How long have you been adventure racing? Uh, yeah, well, thanks for having me on, Brian. Um, yeah, so as you said, my name is Rachel. I'm from uh, Ballina, County Mayo in the wild west of Ireland. Um, I've been adventure racing, I think I probably did the first one maybe 10 years ago. But in between that, I kind of took a few jumps and went into long distance trail running and most recently kind of ultra long distance cycling. Um, and I feel really lucky that COVID is over and I can jump back into what I really love, which is adventure racing. Um, and yeah, as you said, we just finished Expedition Africa. I feel really fortunate that I got to experience it with team disability because yeah, it was a lot of fun. The only way I can put it was it was a serious hardcore adventure holiday. Um, so yeah, it was really, really good. Now, for our listeners at home, um, this was the 10th edition of Expedition Africa. Walk us a bit through your race. Where did it start? How did it go? What was the terrain like? G- give us a picture for um, the listener. Yeah, so I suppose, um, so as I was kind of the black sheep and with the with the American team, there was two words that kind of came up quite a lot. And one of them was awesome and high five. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, like the event from start to finish, you know, like everyone kind of has heard about uh, the races that Heidi put on. And there's a reason that people go back there once, twice, and, you know, for 10 of the editions, which one of the teams were there. And um, just everything from the atmosphere, it's, it was such an inclusive event. And um, one of the things I really liked about it is at the end, no one is really ranked in according to, you know, if they have to jump out because someone is sick for a day or two, 
their goal is that everyone gets there, experiences the culture, enjoys the outdoors, and I suppose pushes them to their limits of what that is at the moment. Um, so that's one of the things that really stood out. Um, the other thing that stood out for me compared to any other race I did is, you know, an adventure race, oftentimes you remember the first day, even the first half of it, and the last day, and everything in between seems to be a bit of a blur. Uh, it was great at the time, but you kind of forget it. So what they really did is each of the stages was very, very unique and distinct. So they were long enough that you definitely remembered them and felt them. Um, but the, the atmosphere, the scenery uh, and everything throughout each of the legs was so unique and distinct that it felt like you were doing a number of different races within a race. And I think it's one of the ones that everyone will have a memory from every section of it. And that's the most the most common thing is and for 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 expedition level adventure racing and for the new listener, it's good to always point out that adventure racing is is anywhere from three to six hours at the beginner level and they go as long as ten days, and I think that your team was six days on the on the course the entire time and it's amazing how you spend an entire week out there, and I remember from the very beginning of the race like this race like many other races gets in touch with local culture and I and you were in Lesotho which is a a, um, a kingdom in the center of South Africa. Um, I remember, I think I read at the opening that the Queen of Lesotho came to the opening day and, and saw the racers off. You started with donkeys. Like, wh- what was that? Did you have to bring the donkey the entire race? Was it your, did you adopt it? Was that just the opening prologue? Was your donkey rather cooperative? How did that work out for you? Because that's a unique way to start the race. Yeah, that's definitely. And as, uh, as I'm, you know, from Ireland, sheep and donkeys are everywhere. So I'm quite uh, accustomed to the donkeys. Um, but yeah, I thought it was an excellent way. I suppose it, it um, gets rid of all the egos. So, you know, every team is the same because who knows how your donkey is going to behave. Uh, and it kind of breaks the ice really with the whole event. So yeah, as he said, uh, it was an adventure even getting to the start. There was two buses. Our bus got stuck on a hill for a while and we arrived a couple of hours late. <laughs> Fortunately, the Queen hung on. Um, and yeah, like once we kind of got the donkeys, you had to basically put a, a crate, uh, an empty beer crate, tie it onto the donkey. And then it was a, a four kilometer kind of route to navigate around and pick up um, empty bottles basically empty beer bottles um, our donkey we picked it out we named her uh, Nelly and she was surprisingly gave us a serious workout um, so we brought carrots apples and I don't know where Chip got it out that they were, the donkey eats mints but anyway they didn't eat uh, mints <laughs> but the apples seemed to work and um, yeah it was a lot of fun we're kind of all like crazy people running around with these uh, donkeys trying to get them to move but they were pretty fast. <laughs> and and so right away you, you you jump into this unique deep end, right? It takes forever to get it takes forever to get it feels to get to the country. And then once you get to the country, it feels like it takes forever to get to the start line. Then you yeah. get to the start and literally with the two hour delay. And I had read about that, that the Lesotho is rather a lot of elevation, right? And and I know that snow played a role in very often when people hear of Africa, they think of, of warm and hot. And, and that wasn't necessarily the case that you had there. On top of all of that, you also were racing with the team for the first time. Am I correct? Like the three Americans were new to you as, as teammates? Um, actually, so in 2018, I was racing with a Swiss team in Belize. And uh, like every adventure race, and with the Swiss team particularly, it's always an adventure. We happened to get stuck on an island. Um, our canoe got stuck. Uh, one of the canoes got stuck. And uh, Chip and Andrea were passing by a couple of hours later. And our um, emergency button was not working. So they 
found us basically and informed the organizers uh, and that's how I met them um, and they asked me then after that uh, after Eco Challenge in Fiji if I would join them for uh, for the race in Africa because obviously it was supposed to be on two years previous and uh, Caitlin who's the other teammate um, coincidentally I ended up spending good few hours with her during the night in Fiji in the Eco Challenge so that's how I met her so it's funny how it's such a small community and it ties together so actually it wasn't my first race I went over and did C to C with them in Florida in February so that was kind of the first time I really properly met them all I suppose after two years of kind of talking about this going to Expedition Africa um, and that was really a perfect warm-up just to get to know everyone and you know it's it's definitely the most amazing team I've ever raced with as in you know, racing with three women and one guy is just, and Chip is just amazing. Like he's the, you know him yourself. He's a, he's a great guy. Um, but it was just such a fun group to race with. And, you know, there's no ego, there's no drama, no one complains. You're just getting on with it. We all have quite different abilities uh, and different skill sets. Um, but we just blended and kind of got on with it and enjoyed the experience. And I absolutely echo your sentiments about Andrew and Chip. I've had a chance to race with them in Ecuador, and I agree with you a thousand percent. Good teammates, strong teammates, lower lower on the drama scale, high on the fun scale, really, really something else. Yeah. And, and particularly Andrea, a very, very, very strong racer, not to take away from Chip, who has his own qualities, his own skills. Andrea is just a strong, fun racer. Um, in Ecuador, I remember her wearing her helmet the entire race. That was the big takeaway. <laughs> Every part yeah. of the race, she had her helmet on. Yeah, Chip. Um, yeah, Chip is definitely an interesting one. Like he's a talker. He's worse than me. Um, I think he is half Irish, even with the hair color and everything. But um, yeah, like just getting him away from the transitions was his weakness. Trying to stop him talking to every, every as we say here, every Tom, Dick, and Harry on the road. <laughs> we gotta go, Chip. Let's go. We'll get on the road here. He'd be st- stopping for the chat. Um, but yeah, just uh, just really great people. And they did say at the start. You know, we're, our goals and expectations were, um, you know, very, very clear. You know, we knew that we were not going to be near the top and that our goal was to communicate well and have a lot of fun, uh, integrate with the locals and just enjoy the experience. We're not going to be racing every second, you know, like we did mm-hmm. stop quite a lot and, you know, look at the stars. And, <laughs> you know, it wasn't the typical race where I'm like, you know, in the red and uh, and jumping along the place it was you know we really did enjoy the experience as a team um, but we're, we're, we're going to come back to africa in a second but but you've, yeah. you've picked off a couple of big races there you were in eco challenge fiji which a lot of our listeners know through amazon prime right have a listen to that who did you race with in fiji um so i was with one american mark latanzi which i'm sure most people know um, mm-hmm. who's a super guy and then two other irish i actually struggled to get a team together um, I put in an Irish team and uh, I didn't really have the correct people that I put down on the list. We won't, we won't tell anyone. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, to, show up, to show up with three teammates. Are you good yeah, to go? Yeah, yeah, that was kind of it. Like, so uh, I really struggled to get teammates in Ireland. It's, um, it's a tight community here, but you know, as you know yourself, it takes a lot of um, money and time commitment and everything for these races. And at the time, people didn't know that it was going to be paid for either. So well, that, well, that's the hard thing, right? When you when you put a team together, you you usually pick an event that is months, if not years, down the road. You have four adults who need to figure out their own life situations. Everything has to kind of hold it together. The weather has to hold. The travel has to hold. Like getting a, a four person team to the start of an adventure race is sometimes the hardest. But the easiest thing is when they start the race. 
Yeah, well, in this case, this was a, a um, I suppose the Eco Challenge Fiji for me was definitely a, an interesting one because I raced with three guys who did not know each other and met each other for the first time out there, uh, two of them. Like we met Mark on the way out there on the flight, on the second flight, um, which, you know, in hindsight, is re- I knew it wasn't, but it's never a good idea to jump in with a team who none of them have raced together, you know? Um, <laughs> so It's, it's so, hard yeah. enough as it is getting to know somebody... Yeah. The usual, go into an intense, sleep exhausted, tired, yeah. you know, you know, physically beat up. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to have that go. More often than not, those are more challenging than they are successful. For sure. Yeah. And that was probably the case in this one. Gotcha. But, uh, it's, all, it's always an adventure and it's always an experience. And that's what it's all about. And, you know, you learn so much about yourself in these situations, how, re- how you react. And, uh, you know, you can beat yourself up about how you should have done something or, shouldn't have done something or whatever it is, but that's why these events are just so amazing because they create your character and your personality really. And, and that's, and that's the point, right? We always talk about how adventure racing, it's really a, a study of human nature and you learn a lot about yourself and about your teammates. And I think going into Africa, you were very lucky because you did see to see, well, at three days, it's not really an expedition race. You had the chance to have a, a soft entry to your, now did the full team do C to C? Was it Caitlin yeah. chipping? Oh, so, so the four of you had a chance to do a rather low impact race. Cause C to C Florida, it's flat. You know, there's no elevation. It's more, it's more Florida than anything else. And then you had a chance to take that experience, which went well, which was like a warm up, and you took it over to Africa. So you had a yeah. really nice entry into a bigger event with your team. Yeah. Yeah. It was really cool. And like they did say at the start, look, we, do not want to finish till we have to finish. <laughs> like it was quite clear. Yeah. We want to make the most out of this whole thing. But I think like what the, one of the interesting things is, is, uh, you know, racing out there for six days can sometimes be as hard or harder than racing for four days. So like sometimes I would probably be better at pushing it a little bit harder and, you know, end up in less time. It's just a different type of race. You know, if you're out there for longer for each leg, you know, you have to bring more clothes, more food, your pack is heavier, you're more time on your feet. It can actually be harder in some senses than actually racing that bit faster. So every, every level of, you know, ability and everything has its own challenges. You hear that very often with, with marathon racers, marathon racers who are very fast to do a race in, you know, they go sub three hours. It blows their mind that people spend four hours on a marathon course. Like they want to be done. They want to go quicker, have their feet up sooner. And to your point, you would think that, you know, four days, the speed required to go at four days saves you two more days of, of food, clothing, and also basically finding a place to sleep, being tired, being exhausted. So it sounds like the, the team ethic going into Africa and with your with your bigger experience level and with your, your work in, in, in Fiji, it sounds like the goal was to take full advantage of the course and to cover as much of the course for as long as you had as much time was available to you. It wasn't about blowing through the course and being done quick, but rather recognizing the fact that you get to be in Africa and you get to enjoy this experience. So it was good that yeah. you knew that going into the race. Yeah, for sure. That's one of the things I've definitely learned in the last few years is to talk about people's expectations because, you know, we're all different. And if you have one person, which has happened to me before, you're out racing and one person thinks, oh, we could actually be in the top three. And then another person is barely surviving. 
right. and you're kind of somewhere there in between going oh my god I don't know what's happening right. so I think like one of the things you know if it's going to be like uh, kind of balls out you know you're out looking for the, the podium that's one effort and it's one type of race to train for as well mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, if you're if you're there on holiday and everything it's also tough but it's a different mindset right right it's about steady, 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 right? You want to, you want to come inside the time cutoffs. You want to have a, a, a good navigation experience. You want to get, you want to take your time and transition, go into the next stage and where you end up. So be it, as opposed to, we want to get on the podium. So we're going to harder on the nav, harder on the bodies, different sleep decisions, things like that. Um, yeah. And I, and I think, and, and walk me through this. I believe that team visibility um, was a, was a full course team. But but was the longest you were on the course the longest for as a full yeah. course team? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> okay. Actually, okay. yeah, another one came in before, after us, but they were uh, they took a, a few uh, shortcuts. But yeah, we were the longest. Uh, we took the longest time out there. <laughs> wow! Wow! Well, you could argue that you got the most of your money. That's true as well, and we <laughs> we actually got in just before the snow and everything started. So uh, so yeah, it worked out. It worked out perfect. So, so going back to the race a bit, you had, you had Nelly the donkey, you, you collected the beer bottles in Lesotho, you then, big trek, I think, to start, correct? It was a big, long, yeah. so, and if I remember correctly, when I watched the tracker on that trek, towards the tail end of it, you guys had a bit of a bobble that, that threw you off a little bit. Yeah, yeah, so basically, um, for the last CP, um, we kind of, you know, it, we decided to go uh, to, to attack it from under. And uh, in fact, we were only actually a couple of meters off it if we had swam around, but it was difficult to know. And then the whole thing of 100 meters been away from your teammate, so we would have all had to go. So we could have, uh, we went into the transition then, we were worried about getting, there was a furry cutoff for uh, getting across on the bike in the next section. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were worried that we would not make the, the cutoff. So we went into transition and they did tell us, look, you can go back out there and get this. And I knew it was only an hour away. Um, I'm, I'm kind of beating myself up about this one a little bit, but I knew it was only an hour away to go back and get it and we could have gotten it. But at that time, like, I think we were all kind of assessing everyone's capability and abilities. Uh, Caitlin's feet were a bit messed up at that time, which actually recovered very quickly within an hour after that. Um, and we didn't really know if we would make the next cutoff. So we decided not to get that last checkpoint uh, on that first On the first track. Yeah, which we could have, in hindsight, gotten very, very easily, and it wouldn't have made a big difference because we did spend quite a bit of time then in uh, in the transition, in that first transition. Um, but I, th- I feel like we were just kind of getting into it at that point. Well, well it was um, it was early in the race, and it was interesting to watch the tracker because, uh, and you were there, right? So, so, so walk because you could see from the satellite and see from on the ground. As teams were coming down that long trek, they had two decisions to make. They could stay down by the water or they could go up higher into the mountains. The teams that stayed down by the water appeared to do better because the water levels stayed friendly to that kind of travel. But you run a risk because you could run out of land down down low. The teams that went high up on the ridge, and we're talking hours now of travel, like like half a day of travel, it felt like many teams were above the checkpoint and getting down to it was the hard part. Like there was, when you looked at the satellite, the cliff faces leading down to that checkpoint were pretty hard to manage. And a lot of teams got stuck up there. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I suppose like in, you know, it's easy to look at things in hindsight and say, oh, you could have done that. But, uh, right. um, but at the moment, it, it was the right decision. And I think, as I said, we were really just getting into it. It's, sometimes right. it takes a day or so to actually go, OK, where are we at with this? Because this was the first time that Team Disability actually did the long course. Uh, right. They haven't cleared a long course. So I think, and it was my first time really racing with them. So I'm, I didn't want to jump in and say, look, we're definitely doing this. Uh, afterwards, then I realized I was like, actually, you know, what? we're more than capable of doing all this. Um, but, you know, they didn't know either like Chip and Andrea and Caitlin, they didn't know, OK, well, we have to skip a load of checkpoints to make the long course. Or what's going to be the well, case. Also, you didn't so know what was in front of you. It was super early in the race. It was the the, the donkey prologue aside. It was the first stage of a multi-stage, multi-day race. And so I'm assuming the thought of going backwards on a course to go get a checkpoint is crazy when you think about it, how much more is lying in front of you, especially with a ferry cutoff. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, uh, so yeah, then we jumped on to the, the bike stage anyway, and that took uh, took a lot longer than expected. Mm-hmm. Well, the bike stage, when I heard, I heard the, I read and I saw that it was a really good day to take your bike for a walk. Yeah. Well, I actually made a great decision. I, I've done a lot of long distance cycling racing in the last couple of years. That's kind of more what I've gotten into. And um, I had a bad experience actually in Florida because I kind of looked at it as, ah, sure, it's an easy flat route. And I just took my cycling shoes and it ripped my feet apart. So I actually decided to go on my runners um, for this race. And um, and it doesn't really affect me too much with, with uh, what I lose in it. And uh, I, I was so happy that I went with did the strap. Did, did you go flat pedals? Flat pedals, no? Flat pedals, and I use a really thick strap. Um, and for me, it just works perfect. Gotcha, gotcha. So I, you, can, so I you... can run with the bike. I can carry the bike. I can, you know, I don't have to worry about bringing another pair of shoes. Gotcha. So um, you didn't go clipless. You were you were clipped to the bike. You had you had no. the strap and you had the flat the flat pedals yeah. with a strap and the sneakers. Oh, it, yeah. it's an interesting decision, which and clearly based upon the idea that travel, if you're going to be walking the bike a lot and if you're going to be you know really managing the bike over rough terrain, you really end up you're in the most comfortable footwear as opposed to being in bike shoes, which aren't always built for that kind of hiking. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I was able, like Andrea. Um, got quite sick during the, the bike stage. Um, so, you know, we, we tried to help her out as best we could. So it meant that I was able to, you know, push our both bikes up the hill or cycle up and kind of run down and pull hers up mm-hmm. at pretty much ease because I was wearing runners, you know? Exactly, exactly. Uh, that's a, that's a, an interesting what, decision to make. And it obviously worked out well for you because you, yeah, had, you had so much time. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll never do an adventure race with cycling shoes again. Big statement. Yeah, well, for the long ones, I won't. Like, it's uh, it's just not worth it for me to pay off. Well, it, you know, on that note, very often when we, we speak with newer racers, they get concerned about, they hear the word mountain bike in adventure race, and they think that it's going to be super technical mountain biking for the entire race. And while that does exist in many races, in reality, more often than not, the mountain bike is used to get from one area to another. And a lot of the travel really isn't that technical. So to your point, you can get away with runners and a strap on your, on your, on your flat pedals. Yeah. I'm pretty comfortable with kind of technical downhill and that anyway. So, you know, it doesn't make a massive difference to me if I'm strapped in, I feel quite confident. Got it. Um, so probably, you know, it doesn't, doesn't really change things too much for me. And that speaks to the idea that having increased technical skill gives you more uh, equipment choice. Um, what, what do you mean by that exactly? By the fact that be, because you're a strong mountain biker, because you're strong with the technical, you have more choice when it comes to what you can and can't put on your feet. There are some racers yeah, who yeah, would sure. have to be clipped to the bike because yeah. that's the their skill level so low that they need the equipment advantage. You're like, I'm good. 
Yeah, yeah. Right. I kind of feel like I have the bikes, bike side of things kind of set up. Kind of dialed in. Like, yeah. Well, well, let's take a quick aside. You, you mentioned you did a lot of long long distance endurance races. What what did you, yeah. what was, was that a COVID response because you'd be by yourself? Yeah, I actually, I kind of planned uh, two years ago to do a couple of hundred milers like trail running and uh, they all got cancelled. So I signed up for, um, for a long distance uh, self-supported cycle is 2,500 kilometers. Uh, 2,400 kilometers, actually. Oh, um, 500, 400. It's important. Yeah, 20, with, uh, with a lot where, of elevation, like 20, 25,000 meters of climbing. And, um, where was that? Nonstop. Um, so it's called the Transatlantic Way. It goes from uh, Derry, the Peace Bridge in Derry in Northern Ireland down to Kinsale. Uh, so it's a race that's on every year. And I've kind of, I did, I did it in the opposite direction, but not in a race version in 2016. So I decided to sign up for this race. It was something that I thought, geez, I might do in 10 years time. And I just signed up uh, three months before it and uh, got the training in and myself and 13 fellas signed up and because uh, they could only let Irish people in doing it. Uh, so a lot of people went back and did it for a second and third time. And uh, yeah, myself and 13 Irish fellas ro- rocked up. So, the only female there and um, congratulations you're on the podium yeah yeah it's good. yeah <laughs> I, I i ended up beating them uh that's what happens with the guys when they blow each other out and you you sit back and watch them and uh, <laughs> all the time right like ra- they, they, over, yeah. yeah if they eat themselves alive and you yeah. just sail right through all right it came to the, exactly the halfway point it was actually my birthday and uh, i passed out the second fella and after that then i said right i'm off <laughs> and did you did you win the entire race uh, yeah, yeah, I did. Wow, congratulations. And that's a, the transatlantic way, is, it's down the west coast of Ireland. That's it, yeah, yeah. And it's absolutely beautiful. It's beautiful, you know, yeah. It's beautiful, it's right? Beautiful. It's just, yeah, I mean, you, you clearly, you're not from Brooklyn, you're from Ireland. My, my, <laughs> my, my people are of Irish-American descent, and everybody who's listening to this podcast should absolutely book their flight to Ireland and go see what a beautiful country it is. Um, that's it, they can get in touch with me, I'll help them out. Exactly, there you go, Rachel Nolan, Irish, Irish Adventure Tours, go get a hold of her. Go. <laughs> um, and so, and so clearly because you had stepped into the world of long distance bike racing, bike pack racing, that transferred over to your adventure racing. And therefore on that, that really huge mountain bike section of Africa, you made an equipment decision, which really helped you. Right. And then because you made a good decision, you could then help your teammate. Yeah. Well, one of the things I always say with the bike is, um, you know, your legs are very strong. Uh, so I load the bike. You know, I put all the water. I don't carry any water on my back. Um, I don't really carry anything on my back hardly at all. Uh, so I have a big saddle back. I have, you know, three food pouches and another pouch in front. And I just load the bike. And, uh, you know, you're not going that fast. So um, I just try and alleviate everything off my back um, as much as I can on the bike goes. That's a really good piece of advice. And that's, and that comes out of your bike packing experience. Cause the goal with bike packing is putting as much on the bike as possible because your back gets torn up. If you're, if you're wearing a heavy pack, you're well, balancing in two separate places. That's it. Exactly. And it, like, it does change your posture and, um, you know, you, you've the pack on so much when you're on your feet as well, that, uh, it's, you know, it's just an opportunity to get it off. So you mentioned that there were two ferry crossings. Now, for those yep. of us who were not there, you say ferry, we think a big boat, a big body of water, and you go there. What were the ferries like in Lesotho? Uh, yeah, no, that definitely wasn't it. Um, so first of all, finding it was a, was a challenge, you know, going down these little rocky paths going, geez, are you sure there's going to be a boat at the bottom of this? Is there even water at the bottom? Um, so yeah, the first one we managed to get on, the second one, the, the fella fell asleep. The guy fell asleep over the other side of the 
of the like it's a small cross and it takes five minutes you know they're in uh, small little canoes and you just fire the bikes on and uh, he rolls across kind of navigating the the current and so yeah for the second one we ended up sleeping on the beach for a couple of hours or I didn't sleep I I struggled sleeping fortunately the others are able to sleep a lot better than me Um, and then the uh, an African team came one of the teams that are from South Africa uh, and uh, they just started shouting and whistling and we were like what are they doing like it's you know five o'clock in the morning and then your man woke up and he goes why didn't you do that a few hours ago and I was like I knew it I knew we should have just started shouting your man's from he was asleep in the boat the other side of the water and here we were waiting for two hours for him to 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 come out you know but um yeah so the the boat crossings are they're very short but they you know wouldn't have been possible to cross them with a boat like here right. it was it was, it was too deep too deep with your hurt. gear and and right I got you yeah yeah and, and so yeah, you- that adds to the logistic fun anyway well, I had I had I had heard about how there was actually discussion of whether or not the, the ferryman would stay there through the night. That in theory, if you if there was a cutoff expected, but because now did you have to pay or did or was that was there a cost to that? Uh no, yeah. I think they probably made their, their year wage in about an hour. Um so yeah, like but which is great. Like that's one of the great things when you're going out here is like that you can support local communities in whatever small way it is. Right. Um, right. so I think everyone's really happy to do that as well. It's part of it's, kind of it, it, it looked like it, it looked like from the tracker that it, you you passed through along the way you passed through many villages that it, as remote as it was you you saw a fair amount of, of of local residents. Yeah, that's true. Like, and that's that's really one of the things that made it. Like, I don't think I've ever been somewhere that's been so rural for so long, and um, but there were so many little villages and the people were just incredible. And um, like one uh, on the last night, just for example, and. Um, so it's so quiet there, like it's so quiet and the stars are just incredible and it gets really, really dark <laughs> for 12 hours. And um, yeah, it, so as I said, it's really, really quiet and we pass by this place where there's really loud music going on at, I don't know, I'm going to say maybe 11 o'clock at night. And uh, I was like, wow, this is unreal. So they decided, to, I don't know who it was, was the Chip Andrew or Caitlin, we'll sleep here tonight. And I'm like, this is like the only loud place we have come to. <laughs> so there's a few people come out anyway. And actually what happened was it was a small little uh, national school. So a little school and uh, the teachers were having a staff party. So the music was blaring and they came out and they, they obviously had seen teams pass, you know, the days before or whatever. And uh, Chip said, uh, can we sleep here? And they were like, what? And they're like, can we sleep in the school? Or is there anywhere we can sleep? They said, yeah, yeah, no problem. So we, we headed in anyway to the school. There was books absolutely everywhere, like total old school, like concrete floor and like the big kind of long wooden benches. And uh, we waited there for, I don't know, about 45 minutes or an hour and then headed off. I couldn't sleep. So I actually had a packet of sweets in my bag and decided to put uh, put sweets in between all the books all over the place. <laughs> for the kids to find. Um, That's great. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, like the people were just incredible. You know, it's some they have these... Um, they call them blanket men. So there's like, they said it at the start, they were like, you're never going to pee in secrecy, by the way, here. And we were like, what are you on about? And they're like, there's always someone watching in the mountain. <laughs> and there actually was. So they had like, the like there's just shepherds everywhere, basically. And uh, they're wearing these kind of big traditional blankets, as you probably saw maybe in some of the photos that they, yep. they gave people at the start. And uh, they're just going around on their horses around the mountains. And uh, yeah, so some of the times they, they sent us in the right direction. Um so yeah, it was really really cool. And so the, and so this was you mentioned nutrition, you mentioned sleep, things like that. So now you're really into it, right? When you 
big, long, huge start. You had that, the CP, you make it. Now we're talking like day two, day three. You're not even halfway through the race yet. Like, I think, how long you were on the mountain bike for? Do you remember how long that section was? So I think it was like 38 hours. Like we, we really went through a time where like I just said to the, like <laughs> the distance, I know it might seem long, but it's, it's not actually that long. The elevation was quite significant. Right. Uh, like it was like six over 6,000 meters of climbing. So there was, in any case, even if everyone on the team was kind of fit and healthy, there would have still been a lot of hike a bike. But this, there was a lot because, you know, Andrea is someone that I really, really look up to and admire because I think that to be able to take help like that takes a certain type of person. And to just say, look, you know, not give up and just like, because a lot of teams do and that's, it's normal. Like it's very difficult to realize that this is going to pass. And mm-hmm. um, so she just allowed us to look after her, which mm-hmm. I think takes a lot of courage as well. Um, so we just tried to do everything. Like she, she really wasn't, you know, she was just vomiting up everything and couldn't eat and, and drink and everything for really, I don't know, was it 30 hours? It was a long time. It was a really long time. And we stopped in a shed for, you know, four hours and then, you know, I was like, okay, we have, we have to get out of here. Like we can't, we have to just keep moving even slow. So we had it broken down to almost a kilometer. Like I was like, okay, we have to do five kilometers without stopping. We can do it. Right. <laughs> you know, it goes down to that small of, of detail. Um, and yeah, the food, as you were saying, like is, is really such an important part uh, that you bring your own food and you've tried and tested it. A lot of people seem to have issues with their stomach on this event. Um, and even afterwards, a lot of people ended up in hospital on antibiotics and that that I know. Um, so, you know, making sure that your, your water is filtered. And personally, myself, I'm, I'm vegetarian. I'm kind of more plant-based in my normal life. Uh, I do make exceptions in the in adventure racing, but I, I don't really eat in the restaurants beforehand. And that's a personal choice. Um, unless I really know what I'm eating. Um because I just, you know, I've come that far and I don't want to get sick just beforehand. So I do, sure. bring a, I, I do bring a lot of my own food. Um, and I think maybe some people might have gotten a little bit sick in different times like that, just from gotcha. trying, just from taking different things that, you know, they're not used to eating. Well, that, well, that's the catch 22, right? You, you, you travel to a foreign land and you want to, you want to immerse yourself in the culture. Like we, adventure racers, not your typical tourists. And, and we dive in with, with two feet into the experience sometimes that diving in boomerangs on us and you're, you're enjoying the local fare, which your body's just simply not used to. It's not, the food is bad. It's just, you're, you've never had it before and your body reacts poorly. Next thing you know, you're, you're 36 hours into a race and everything is upside down and you can't hold on to anything. And, you know, and I think you're spot on about that. When I was in Ecuador, which was just a amazing country, amazing people, the food I had before, I mean, everything was well cooked. I had nothing that wasn't, that didn't somehow was sitting over heat for a while. You know, you, you referenced the, the, the challenges that your teammates had and Andrea was out there. And we say this very often on the podcast that if you're not prepared to ask for help during an adventure race, and if you can't regulate your own need to ask for assistance, you're going to have a really, really, really hard race because very often people have a desire. They're too proud to ask for help. So they go into a hole that is so deep that it slows down the entire team. And it sounds like you were able to address that pretty well as a team out there. Yeah. Like, been honest, we probably should have addressed it a couple of hours earlier. Um, okay. Like she was probably in, in the red a little bit too long. Um, and, you know, Chip was kind of holding back. And, uh, you know, he, he basically said, said, look, we were going to have to do something here. 
um, because he was kind of then been, you know, they're also together. So he was kind of been partner, carer. Mm -hmm. So we kind of had to separate things a little bit. And and we took charge of it then for the rest of it, um, which was, you know, which was really good. And we all helped each other out for whatever it was. As I said, you know, with these things, you're putting yourself to a limit and you learn things about people that you wouldn't learn in a lifetime. It's a a crash course in, in family. Yeah, yeah. And right. like I as I said, I just feel so privileged to be with such, you know, three really outstanding yes. individuals with very different characters. Mm-hmm. Um that I, I feel like are now really great friends with just doing two events for um and kind of you know you know yourself, you create a bond that you kind of have a mutual respect anyway for everyone that's out there racing because you know what they're going through. Mm-hmm, uh, even mm-hmm, if you don't mm-hmm. know the people, you only know them to see. You kind exactly. of at the end, you're like, you've gone through it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, but, you did that also. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. But your teammates, it's uh, it's something really special, and I think that's why, you know, I I, I have done a lot of solo events, and I, I do enjoy doing that as well. I'm pushing myself to the limit, but there's another pleasure and another enjoyment with doing a team event, and that's what keeps bringing me back to adventure racing. And I've raced with a lot of different teams, and I've made some really amazing friends through it all. And, that, and that's the most common thing you hear from people who, who jump into the sport is that the, um, the shared experience of doing the race itself, you know, it, the expression that they use in climbing, because there's, there's some correlation here is adventure racing is like war stories without the war. Yeah. Yeah. We pay ourselves to go through this to, to find, you know, to find our own personal and mental limits and to, to develop your own character. Like if you're doing the same thing every day and the same, right you know, general sports, you're never going to learn these things about yourself and reflect in the way you do afterwards. And you're spot on there. And the idea that the uh, Grant Killian, who um, the Untamed New England is a, a, a excellent, wonderful race director here. And Grant, if you're listening, please bring back your races because we miss them. Um, when he introduced um, Untamed New England in 2018, he talked about how these were contrived inconveniences that you choose to be here. Like you, You've paid the money, you've done the training, you've injected yourself into this situation. So therefore you kind of lose the ability to complain about it, right? Because you could be home on your couch. Yeah, that's it, yeah. And, and then he talked about the idea of permanence and the idea that, and you went through this with, with Andrew, who was not feeling well, we've all been there, that the situation you're feeling at that moment, as low as it is, is going to pass eventually. And it passes quicker and better if everybody's working together to help the team get through it. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. And you never know, like you could have the strongest person. And, you know, I think it's quite funny because, uh, <laughs> I, as I said, I've raced with a few different teams and it's often the guys who are, you know, beefed up, six pack, pumping in the gym. They can do, you know, and they know, just disintegrate. 250 marathon, uh, hour 18, bang. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so, and you, you, and that's why, one of the, another reason why I love adventure racing is because, you know, w- women often in these endurance sports are excelling a lot more might yeah. be the fastest at the start, but, you know, if we can hang on for the first night, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we're often the ones who are just cruising along. And, and that's a, a common theme that we hear in the podcast time and time again, and we see time and time again, is that mixed gender teams, mixed gender teams overwhelmingly outperform single gender teams. We found that across the way. And we found that female adventure racers, something kicks in later in the race where they become the strongest member of the team. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that all the time. All the time. Yeah. As, as a, and it's, it's really, um, and, and, and credit to, to adventure racing as a culture that from the very beginning and the, and the, the founders of the, of the race were very, very wise 
back in the day where they insisted that the premier team had to be co-ed, that they didn't go to, which was, which at the time, who knows how that decision landed and, but look down the road now, we would nowhere see as varied a sport as we do now if, if the, if, if you allowed single gender teams to be the premier teams inside of races. Um, so, so way to go founders of the sport. We're we're proud of you. Thank you for that. So you, you dig through mountain biking. Andrea has her challenges. Everybody rallies, right? If you hang in there long enough, you get better along the way. You went from the mountain bike back into another trekking section or did you get to the kayak at that point? Uh, no, that's it. Another trekking section then. Which and must have, it. you're like back on our feet again, like holy that cow. That section actually was probably our, our strongest one. Chip did a, a great job with the nav and uh, we actually how, were well, How was the nav? Was it was it big nav with big maps, right? 150,000 maps. Yeah, like, I think the part that was difficult um, for us and probably for everyone was the just the amount of hours in darkness. Right. Uh, like it just slowed, it obviously just slows things down. And, um, but yeah, it was, it was really good. Like we definitely took our time on the nav. I'm not the navigator at all. So the other three kind of jumped in and it's something, it's my uh, area that I want to improve on now over the next, uh, over the next year or two. But um, yeah, like there was definitely no rush. So as we were saying, it was top teams where you're, you know, you're kind of, on the move with the navigation, like we definitely took our time. And as I said, one of the, one of the things about this team that I, I hadn't experienced before is how inclusive it all is. So there's no decision made on one person. You know, we're all looking at the map. We're deciding where to go. It is taking longer, but you feel very included in it all. And we know where we're all going. And, um, you know, no one is to really blame for one decision. Cause we're yeah, that's, kind of that's a, a really good team dynamic to make, right? Cause that could be that, that component, that relationship where, first of all, it's difficult to navigate by committee. That's really hard. Yeah. But I think in the bigger races, when the maps are huge and you're not making a lot of super quick navigational decisions, left turn, right turn, left turn, it's easier for the entire team to get involved in the conversation because map, mountain range, we're going in this direction. That falls down when the race gets faster, smaller, and tighter because you can't stop at every component and say, do we go left or do we go right here? Like, and so I think to your point, I think that worked out really well for your team. Yeah, for sure. Like it was more kind of a general gist of things. So we all right. know we're going in the one direction. Like the worst thing to do, you know, which can happen very easily is, you know, you've one navigator and everyone else is just following no idea where they're right. going, uh, right. which is, is not very motivating for anyone really. Well, that's where, and, and that's where team dynamics play a role. That's where communication plays a role. That's where knowing what the navigator needs plays a role. I've, I've raced with, with teams where when the navigator wasn't talking, things were going well. And I've raced with teams when the navigator wasn't talking, things were going badly. And so, and it's tough to your point, just to follow behind. Cause then you feel like just a mule and you you're, and if you layer on a little bit of hunger, a little bit of tired, then all of a sudden your brain falls apart and you want to quit. You want to get in the ferry home. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But I think like, as you said, I think like for me, the thing with adventure racing is everyone needs to kind of have a role. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. job and um, once everyone is kind of aware of that then you know they're they're kept motivated and awake I suppose as well at times mm-hmm, mm-hmm. exactly and I think you're spot on there knowing where you are in terms of what can you bring to the team you know a very common thing we hear from beginner racers is is that they hesitate to get involved because they think that they can't contribute they yeah. think that they're going to be a, an anchor on the team and the response to them is well that's not true everybody can contribute you have to know what you can do if you're low skill set with the maps, carry the gear. You know, when you get into a transition area, help with logistics, move gear around, help your teammates out, like just focus on contributing. And if you do that, you'll be just fine. 
as opposed to just asking for help all the time, do what you can and your teammates really respect that. Yeah. Or you could just learn a few songs for the middle of the night. That always goes yeah, down well. Yeah, I, I had heard that. I heard that you were you were you were singing along. Is that was it? Was it? Was yeah, the song yeah. happen in Africa? Oh, we had a good few sing songs, all right. Yeah, to keep awake. Like twelve hours is a long time of darkness for entertainment. So um, was it? Was it twelve hours of darkness? That's yeah, where the, it was. Yeah, six to six. Wow. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah Ecuador was, was like that too. Long. Yeah. Ecuador was uh, yeah. like spot on six o'clock. It was going to get dark. It was a long time in the dark. It felt like it was like, you know, when you're racing and you look off to the distance and you can see the the sky starting to lighten and you're like, okay, it's, it's on the way and it helps to motivate you. I remember looking to the distance and never seeing this, like it was dark all the time. And so you had that challenge. Yeah. Well, it just changes things as well for, for sleep, logistics, everything. Um, you know, if you only have, you know, like in Ireland here, for example, in the, in the middle of the summer, you only have four hours of darkness, four, four and a half hours. Like mm-hmm. it just changes everything because <laughs> mm-hmm. you're like, well, if you're going to sleep, it's going to be in that time, exactly. <laughs> whatever it is, you know, for an hour or two there. Or, so, yeah, changes things a little bit. So six days on the course, clearly you weren't awake the entire time. How did you break your sleep up? Did you ever have one big, long sleep? I think at one point you one transitionary was a guest house. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. And, and it was like, it was like, it was a seven hour sleep. Uh, no, it was, uh, three hours, three, three hours. hours. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, it might've been oh, seven yeah. hours in transition the entire time. That might've been the whole time you were there. It could have been, it could have been. Yeah. I think we arrived in at like 10 and left at three or something like that. Okay. So okay. It was a bit less than that, but, um, yeah, I, I suppose I struggle with sleep anyway. I think I've like slight insomnia, uh, which can be a benefit and, uh, and, and a hassle. So when they were all sleeping at any of the stops, I didn't sleep at all. Um, okay. So I did a bit of yoga. Uh, <laughs> I did, uh, yeah, I just tried to relax the brain basically as well. But um, I, the only time I slept was that time we actually stopped. So I slept less than three hours and six nights. Um, so not a lot. But so... Did that come, did that come naturally to you or did you have to train yourself into that kind of deprivation? Um, I have always been like that. I'm a morning person. Like I'm up this morning now since half four. Like I just, um, that's kind of the way I am. And, uh, I do like sleep, but I can go quite a while without, gotcha. uh, it doesn't affect me massively. Gotcha. Um, but like everyone, if you get onto the kayak in the middle of the night and you haven't slept for a couple of nights, <laughs> oh, that's the, I mean, I mean, I, I struggle not to jump into the water. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just it's when I see a kayak section late in a long race, I just I I because oh, you go you can't stay awake. It's quiet. Yeah, yeah. You're paddling. You sing as much as you want. I don't care what yeah. you're singing. Like, there's no. We were in we were in Scotland, and at one point we were on tow, and and my teammate Sherry, who Sherry Hines is a workhorse and a, a legend, she was we were the two kayaks were tied together. She looked behind us, and the three men were all sleeping. We're out cold, <laughs> and she's she's the one pulling the boat along the way. So yeah, yeah so yeah. that's just that gets you the entire time. Yeah, well, in our kayak session, a section actually, uh, we had a music system. So uh, we had, uh, I think, Chip put on uh, Irish pub songs. I think trying to. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what it was but uh, yeah it was a lot of fun I was in with Caitlin so I think when you're in the kayak with someone it's a bit like going to confessions you know like you can't see that you can't see the person and you can say absolutely anything and uh, you know you can have a silent gap for a minute or two while you're saying a couple of prayers afterwards for forgiveness but um you know, we just you know, Caitlin, I, you know, Caitlin, I killed a man once. Oh, no, never mind. Never mind. Yeah. yeah. That was, well, her, her working in the military for the last 17 years. So it was, uh, uh, no, I want to joke it. But um, Chip actually fell asleep for a bit of it. And 
so Andrea and Caitlin actually kind of took over the nav, which actually worked out really well. But that's the only area where he struggles with the sleeping. Like everyone has it differently. Um, I often actually struggle going downhill on the bike, which is quite dangerous. Uh, I just find it very relaxing with the air and everything. So yeah. <laughs> I usually need to be careful on the bike. Yeah, I've had um, that late in the race on a, on a long swooping downhill on the bike. I yeah. find myself falling asleep on the bike. Like you're fighting yeah. to stay awake because it's so rhythmic and it's so just, uh, right, I hear you. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, no, I think like sleep-wise, probably didn't do too bad. I made a, a bad decision with my bivy. I bought a bivy here and just was really terrible. And this, um, like it just didn't work. Like there was condensation in it. I have in my backpack, I have um, a sleeping mat integrated into the back. So that's really handy. Um, and they all were a bit jealous of that because, you know, you're obviously sleeping on the concrete or whatever. The ground is wet. Right. Yeah. And, and you need that barrier between you and the ground. Because once, yeah. once you're touching the ground, it pulls, it pulls the warm right out of you. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You, I'm curious about the idea. You mentioned you're a vegetarian plant-based and during races, obviously you have to make concessions to, to, to what's available, right? That's just the way yeah. that it is. How do you, what is your typical going into race food setup? Like, what do you, what do you rely upon for nutrition? Um, I suppose I eat a lot of like anything. I eat a lot of fruit and vegetables, nuts, uh, any kind of seeds, uh, a lot of tofu, tempeh. Um, yeah, pretty. I never really ate red meat. Uh, just uh, I think I realized a couple of years ago it screwed up my digestive system. I don't seem to seem to have quite a slow digestive system. Um, and you know, growing up on the coast, I only eat fish. We, my mum has a grew up in a bed and breakfast, so um. We're mostly fishermen, so we actually have two freezers just for fresh fish being caught. So, like, that's all I ever ate growing up was fish that's caught out in the river in front of me, you know, the day before. Right, right, um, right. Besides for that, I, um, and then, you know, chickens with all the hormones and stuff, I kind of like knowing what's going into my body. So, um, so yeah, like, it just suits me better. I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. Um, well, well, clearly you're not missing for energy. I mean, you, you, your, your sleep is minimal. You won, you won the transatlantic way. You raced in Fiji. You clearly were a very strong member of your team in Africa, right? So, so for those people who are home looking at nutritional choices, you're a really good lesson in how you can go plant based and can be successful in adventure racing. Like it's not a barrier. I guess the point that I'm trying to make. No, I think the difference with being plant based is people just don't realize that you need to eat a lot of food. Right. <laughs> like yeah. you know, my plate. I don't eat a plate. I eat like a whole like <laughs> walk of food. Like I don't just eat a plate of food. You know, to get enough calories, get enough of everything in, you just need a lot more food. And that's uh, one of my closest race partners is plant-based. And and he talks about that a lot too, that he just, the amount of food he has to bring with him. And that food's not necessarily light. It's it's a lot of it, it's, it's filled with water. It's very good. It's healthy food, but you have to carry a lot of it. And he makes good use of his race bin. He makes good use of his race pack, but there's a lot of food that's in there. Yeah. Yeah. But I suppose like things like nut butters and, you know, nuts and things like that they are quite dense as well they're quite uh, calorie dense um yeah like i don't eat a massive amount of those freeze-dried packs either um which i know are really handy but maybe one in a transition but i don't really eat too well, many well either. that's the point where you're in the race where if you're going for four or five six days and you're just your your engine is just roaring for food you could eat anything and it's yeah, gonna well, it's gonna it. it's gonna yeah. be consumed right away by the engine and next thing you know it's it, it doesn't live for very long in your system that's exactly it. Yeah, I'm like an eating machine, basically, yeah. on the move. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was amazing, like, two days after the race ends, how hungry you are. Yeah, I yeah, I just, just can't stop eating then afterwards. Yeah. You know, yeah. every well, you hour do is eat and to, sleep. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, mad for the picking. 
But you know exactly. what they say. You know what they say about pickers, don't you? What? What's that? They'll always be wearing big knickers. <laughs> so you need to, yeah, after a certain point, after a certain point of time, you need to uh, tone it back a little bit. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. My problem is I, I, I always eat like I finished the two day adventure race two days earlier, but it was two months ago. Exactly. Yeah, now, so, so you, so you mountain bike, you had the kayak section, which I heard was pretty challenging, right? It was in this huge damn section, a lot of, a lot of ins and outs, but you guys did a good job with that. And yeah, it feels like, it feels like you got stronger, like days four, five, six, you really hit your stride. Yeah, so the kayaking went actually really well. Uh, in general, we, we did move quite slow, but we were very tired going into it. Um, after that trek session, before we got into the kayak, we right into transition, which was you know, basically just a, a, a kind of a shelter. So it was quite windy at that point and it was, it was quite cold. Um, and we kind of lay down for about an hour or so. And at 11 o'clock, Caitlin is the, in charge of the alarm setting. Mm-hmm. So the alarm went off and Chip said, I think we're going to wait another half an hour. And I said, who decided on that? Oh, the girls. I said, oh, I don't know who decided on it, but we're leaving. So off we got. How about another half an hour? I said, is, is it really going to make a difference if we leave at 11 or half 11 or what it is? No, all it's right. not. Let's move. Let's go, Chip. So, Pick it up. Let's so, go. So yeah, up we all got anyway. And they said afterwards, and I said, thanks for letting us go. We were just trying to put off getting back in the, getting, it, getting into the kayak. But um, no, I have to say that... Um, Andrea did a really, really good job of navigating through that because Chip, we spent an hour trying to find the right direction and then realized that he was in a different world altogether yeah. at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, that's, and that's important to realize is that when the, and, and that's and that's a challenge that, that many people have, and I know that Chip has experienced that too, that when you get really deep into a race and you get really exhausted, the world is just upside down. You, don't, you yeah. literally don't know what direction you're facing. Yeah, that, that kind of exactly what happened. So after an hour of not knowing which direction we are going around circles, we'd, uh, Andrea basically took that over and he kind of dozed off a bit in the back. And um, like, I don't think we made any mistakes. And then like, it was just perfect. And, and a fresh uh, set of eyes so, always helps. Yeah, s- sunrise came. And, you know, I said we weren't moving fast, but we were moving. We were very tired. Um, and then once, like, you know, once the sun rises, it's like a new world really, isn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So, so that was it. Then we got off the, the kayak and then there was just one last, uh, very long trek left. Um, so yeah, we were kind of pumped, you know, when you're at that stage, um, you know, you know, you're going to finish and yeah, you just at that point you're go, walking you it go in. with it. Yeah. Right. You go with it. And you, and you realize, and you were long course, right? So you're long course team. Yeah. Wow. That's a big accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. It was really cool. So, really so cool. you've done a lot of, so how do you rank this in terms of your, your race experiences? Is it, was it your longest time out there? Like the six days, is, is that a record for you? Or have you been out there longer? Like, where do you kind of rank this? Cause you've done a lot of stuff. Yeah, I think probably similar enough in, uh, in Fiji, even though we didn't do the last section in Fiji, we had a, an adventure before that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've done a few maybe around this kind of length, especially solo solo events. But as I said, what what really was unique about this event was just the the team. You know, like I, it's difficult to explain, but like the communication, everything was just, you know, it it wasn't for me on a on a physical level. You know, I probably could move faster in some in some parts, um. But then again, I might be moving faster in the wrong direction, so that's not always the best thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to take things in, into consideration and. You know, I suppose with adventure racing and with everything, you have to look at well, what's your what's your goal in it? Is it to to push yourself and uh, you know, which is fun as well, and push yourself and see what your physical limits are in that sense, or is it to just have a really good time with really cool people? Um, and I suppose that's where you kind of have to decide. 
you know, and, and get yeah, the, the decision to make as a teammate and go, as we said earlier, going into the race, knowing that is what's essential because yeah, nothing yeah. is worse than having four people going in four different police and directions. And so if you're not aligned sure. going into it, but you had, you had C to C, you had the warm up there in, the, in, the, in that smaller race to sort of get a sense for yourselves. Yeah. For so sure. and every like they're all talk we're all talkers so like yeah. you know Caitlin isn't at the start but once you get her going she's a she, she's no also a talker. <laughs> good, good. So 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 what's next for you? Now you're 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 in the tail end of this it's we're going into the into summer up here in the northern hemisphere what are you what are you looking at? Well actually from literally tomorrow till the 12th of October I'm fully booked with tours. Um, okay. so I do tailor made um, private tours so a lot of trail run tours cycling tours. So, so, so tell us a bit about that for listeners out there. If they come to Ireland, they have to look you up. What do you do yeah. there? Um, so yeah, I have a tour company called Rachel's Irish Adventures. I set it up in 2015. Um, and I just offer private tailor-made tours throughout Ireland um, to get off the beaten path and experience, discover and taste the best of Ireland. Um, so everything from uh, trail running, cycling. I have families, like three-generation families looking up their ancestors and um, so yeah, big variety of things. And the goal is kind of getting off the beaten path and bringing people to my favorite places. So it could be in bacon, brown bread, with my mom in the kitchen or um, my background is actually in the whiskey industry. So I do a lot of whiskey tasting um, or, you know, going off, spending a couple of nights on a, on a beautiful island off the West coast of Ireland. So yeah, it's all, it's always different. Um, so that's basically what I'm doing until October. And then, uh, so I travel for six months a year um, so I usually leave Ireland mid-October and then come back at the start of April every year. Um, so that's really the season where I can, you know, train and do events. And then if I do something in the summer, I just need to plan it out in advance so I can book the time off. Gotcha. Are you looking at any races for that? I know you're living in April to October now, and that's where you are. October to April of next year, anything you have on the calendar, you're looking at going any place you're looking to travel? Uh, yeah, there's a cycling race I'm looking at doing in the Canaries in, uh, in the beginning of November and then potentially go over to Thailand um, around the kind of December time uh, for maybe two months. And then, um, and then maybe the race in Patagonia in, uh, in March, we'll see. What's your, what's your dream uh, race? I'll definitely do, definitely do something. Uh, God's own. God zone, right? No brainer. Right. Yeah. 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 I always joke if, if the, if, if the God's own bus pulled up a lot outside my house right now, I'd say goodbye to you and I'd get on that bus. Yeah. I'd like to go there. And I spent two months in New Zealand, uh, going back a few years ago and I just really loved it for, it's just an adventure Mecca. Uh, but I'd love to go there, just spend the winter there and do God zone and coast to coast, get the two of them. So kind of a solo event and a team event. Um, so yeah, I'll do that in the next couple of years, just get the timing right of, uh, you know, you got to get with a team and, you know, get everything in line. And then um, just when the time is right, these things will all happen. Oh, Rachel, thanks for coming on The Dark Zone. We, we appreciate your time. Are there any closing thoughts before we say goodbye? Um, no, but just on a side note, you asked me to tell you about training. <laughs> and thank you for, for <laughs> thank you for, for, for busting me for the listeners out there. Because I realized it was six o'clock and we're yeah, talking no, for an I just, hour. I, I, and I, know, I never I mentioned just, training and I was going to skip you, over it. It was the only thing you asked me to mention to you. So I said I'd bring it up. <laughs> so, so bring it home. Tell us about your training. So because clearly... As someone who who works in the in the travel industry and works with, like you don't your time is not always your own, so what does your training look like? Um, so yeah, this uh, summer my training will be very minimal. I'm on my feet all the time, and um, so between cycling tours and uh, trail run tours and everything, uh, and then the winter is my training time. 
So the winter just passed. I spent three months in the Algarve in the south of Portugal training and uh, two months in Spain. And um, I this year I went back with Jen Seger, who I know you have on the podcast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So she did a really good training plan for me for four months this winter, uh, yeah, which I really, yeah. really enjoyed. Jeez. She's just the greatest. I mean, she I mean, really I, I I knew I figured there was a connection there. I heard you talk. I you sounded like you were a Jen Sager athlete the way you were talking about it. So that's good to hear. Yeah. Well, back in um, so in 2019, when oh no, it was 2020 actually, when I did the uh, the cycling race, I had actually uh, met her out in Fiji, and I asked her would she put a plan together for me for uh, for ultra running, and that was my goal and. Um, so once I saw everything was been, you know, uh, cancelled, I said, look, could we switch to cycling? Because I know this will be going ahead because it's completely self-sufficient. And she completely diverted everything in three months. She did a three month training plan for me from basically I hadn't been on the bike much at all because I'd just been running. Um, and uh, yeah, in three months and she obviously helped me get the results. So, um, yeah, I just re- from the start, like I didn't really need to chat to her. I t- talked to her once and she just seemed to get me. So. It was easy. And so, does it? So, does the plan look like? Is it? A, is it a somewhat of a typical training plan where it's base, 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 build, and then a peak, and then you sort of back it down? Or because you have so much base, do you sort of just keep it steady and then shoot for the big events? How does that work out? So, yeah, I actually learned so much about myself from her, and that's one of the things that, um, you know, the reason I'm back again this winter is because, on a personal level, I learned a lot about my my own body and and uh, mental capacity, I suppose. But from the cycling one, like we did nothing but cycle. Like <laughs> I pushed out like thirty thousand kilometers in the space of a couple of months. Like I was doing like back to back cycles, like a thousand kilometers a weekend, and just nonstop on the bike, basically that. And I I do a lot of yoga, um. So I usually do like up to an hour of yoga every day, anyway. So. Kind of you have to counterbalance that, right? Because the bicycle is such an unnatural position, right? You're hunched over the handlebars. You have to bend your body back in the other direction through the yoga. Well, for that also, but like just in life in general, yoga is just a great for the for the body and mind. Um, mm-hmm. I spent three years ago, I spent, um, spent a winter in India doing a teacher training course and that kind of really catapulted it even more so off uh, just to get me into my daily routine. Um, and then for this year, uh, for the adventure racing, it was totally different, um, which really goes to show like kind of the strength that Jen has is that it's not a one plan fits all. Um, you know, she adapted to the terrain that I was on and it was definitely multi-sport. Like, you know, whereas before I, with the cycling, I wasn't running at all. Like I didn't do any running. I didn't, I did some gym work this year. I did three months of strength and conditioning where I was doing CrossFit like five times a week. And, uh, and yeah, kind of basically she has you in like zone two or zone four. So you're either doing super slow stuff, which, you know, you feel like you're, you're moving along at granny pace, mm-hmm. uh, or you're pumping it out, doing intervals, hill repeats. Um, and what I really like about it is from a, from a female standpoint, she does everything on your cycle. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, you know, you're working with your body rather than against it. And that's gotcha. kind of, that's one of the things that I, I, you know, I don't know why they don't teach you this in school, <laughs> but uh, I suppose I learned a lot about my body and, and uh, you know, when to push it and when to just uh, realize that, you know, you just need to hold back a little bit. Well, that's the whole trick, right? The whole trick is knowing that your, your body's a machine and that you have to, what you put into it matters, what you put out of it matters, but also those cycles, as you talked about, matter. And you mentioned zone two and zone four. Very often I've read about how too many athletes are just stuck in zone three. They do long, steady stuff all the time. And it feels like work, but it's not. 
You got it. Yeah, that's probably me. I'm one of these people that you could ring me up at any time of the morning, day or night, uh, whether it's to go to a party or, you know, climb a mountain. And I find it very difficult to say no. Right. Yeah. Uh, so like, that, by the way, you know, that is I the most common trade with venture racers. And, and it was just mentioned, <laughs> Jesse Tubb just mentioned that in his, that he, the movie Yes Man, he says yes to everything. He's like, do you want to yeah, go uh, yeah. race across the country? Okay. Yeah. That's, that's part yeah, of our yeah. personalities that we are, ba- our barrier to say no is really, really, really low. Yeah, yeah, I struggle a little bit in the extremes to just find the balance sometimes. But yeah, I suppose, so before having a program, I would have been probably doing a lot more hours than she was even giving me. But um, yeah, just not really a benefit for from a physical training point of view. Gotcha, gotcha. I, I appreciate that you, you put me back on track, Rachel. You rescued me because I'd forgotten all about the training, which <laughs> the most common complaint of the, of the Dark Zone listeners is that we never talk about training that much. I just assume that people just yeah, show yeah. up and they just, they just do it. It's, they're built into them. So thank you some for that. Some do, some do. <laughs> right, some folks yeah, just yeah. show up and they just, usually the age, the youth, the, the, the young folk tend to yeah, walk out yeah. there and crush it. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, sure. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the Dark Zone. Um, we look forward to hearing about your future races. We'll get you back on. Um, have a wonderful cool. tour season. I'm sure that you're very happy. It's a little bit of a post-COVID Ireland now, and then everyone's coming back to see the homeland. And, uh, yeah, and thank you for being here. Yeah, you too. And look, when you come over to Ireland next time, let me know. Oh, you trust me. I'm, I'm on the way. I'm looking at plane tickets right now. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool, cool, very cool. Great, Rachel. Thank you very much. All right, thanks a million. Thanks so much for your time. Have a great day. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you, Rachel, for joining us on The Dark Zone. As promised, listeners, she was an interesting, fun, fascinating listen. Be sure to check out her Facebook page, Rachel's Irish Adventures, for her full slate of offerings. Um, I guarantee that if you have a good time listening to this podcast, you'll have a good time with her. She's a lot of fun and will show you parts of the Emerald Isle that you otherwise would not see. Thanks again for being listeners. We appreciate that you're here. Have a great day and safe training.